All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 150. Jason Lindgren is with me and Wayne McCroy is back. Um, It took three of us to do the research for this episode. It's been a long time coming. This episode will be based on footage that I first shot in March of 2016. And there were a number of times after that that I filmed the same event using tools that see the sky in wavelengths that our eyes cannot. In other words, to the naked eye, the things that were filmed here would be invisible. What we are going to put forward as a possible new discovery is that our sun is binary, as reflected in all of the old writings that will be threaded throughout the conversation here, from alchemical times, from natural science times, even back into Renaissance art, where we're trying to demonstrate that some of the religious Renaissance art is encoding the fact that our star is a binary, but it's actually one. And I know that's a lot to wrap your mind around, but we'll do the best I can here to try to lay it out. But the fact remains, I just don't have the language I need to describe some of what we're going to talk about. Also, for the first time in a portion of the first hour here on YouTube, I will be embedding one of the videos I shot in 2016, which shows the binary sun or the sun that we do not see. And as many may know, so many people recently near sunup and sundown have filmed more than one sun in the sky. It happened during the 2017 solar eclipse. People who filmed that way too overexposed, we're fortunate enough to catch a smaller duplicate version of the eclipse going on to the side of the sun that we see with our eyes. We're going to address these things the best we can. It's a brave new world, and so I apologize for the shortcomings, but we're doing the best we can here. Let's jump in, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 150. I have Jason Lingram with me and Wayne McCroy is back to help us kind of unveil a pretty big discovery that I made back in 2016 and have tried all this time to try to vet out and put meaning behind. But suffice it to say, uh, we have an announcement about the sun and these things are not easy. Um, you do the best you can, you vet it, you test all the equipment things and, and, and other things that might possibly make you look foolish and you do the best you can. Uh, I've had this footage since 2016. It's not singular footage. I filmed it over multiple days, uh, over the course of, I think two or three weeks, but three days in a row initially. And it was shot with my solar hydrogen alpha telescope. Some of it was shot coupled to a full spectrum camera. Some of it was shot to a visual spectrum camera. And uh, what we think we've discovered, we will try to back up with, as is usual for this channel, some of the oldest natural science accounts we can find. And this will also relate in an overarching way to what's been encoded to the cathedrals that are in Europe, which I currently view as encoding our natural world. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. A good chilly morning to all. Indeed. We got a lot of snow last night, enough to take out my mailbox. But what do we have for the intro here? I think the best thing to do for an intro here is to talk about the SGT report. Right. So we did an interview, Jason and I, with a channel that has a massive audience of people who probably do not have a lot of experience with the topics Jason and I bring up. The response was huge. It was so huge that I guess a bunch of trolling went on um, because it's typically a politically centric channel. But I think 1,000.5 trolls came in um, to do what they do. And it got to the point where he even ran a very brave response clip, which he put up this morning, 
where he stands behind everything we put out and laid down the facts. Uh, we're in the middle of an awakening here. You can choose to wake up or you can choose to remain asleep. But people who do not have open minds and open hearts are just going to shut down. And that was the gist of the follow-up clip. What would you add, Jason? Well, I just checked the numbers, and the interview we did with Sean is currently at 330000 And he did a follow-up video that he released this morning that we're recording on a Monday. And that's already at 22000 basically addressing everything that we went over and the results thereof. So... Hats off to Sean for standing behind what he is trying to do. You know, we closed the first interview by saying, don't accept the things we're laying down here. Test them, challenge them, try to rip them apart, try to poke a hole. And for my part, I was impressed with that massive audience, most of which, by far most of which, took what we laid down with open minds. And hopefully they're out testing. But do we have anything else for the intro before we jump in here? Let's get right into the big one with Wayne. Okay, welcome, Wayne. Hi, guys. Good to be back here. Hey, good to have you. And once again, just so everybody knows, there were three of us going at different facets of the information that we're going to try to back up the clip. And also, people should know, for the first time, I'm going to embed one of the pieces of footage that shows the discovery about the sun that we're about to cover. But we're going to start by covering some material which is critical for people to understand. It is absolutely embedded in all the old alchemical natural science ideas that we can get our hands on. And Jason aptly sent me some of you. Are you familiar with these like Masonic, what are they called, Jason? Picture boards or something? Do you know what they're called? I don't know if it has a specific name, but it's the setup for every Masonic altar. If you walk into a Masonic hall, you will see that same setup in every single one. As a matter of fact, I attended a funeral a few years ago and actually got to be in a Masonic hall for the remembrance services. And I knew exactly where everything was going to be. And I walked in and boom, there it was. First time I was ever in a Masonic hall, in fact, and probably not likely I'll ever be again, unless it's another similar circumstance. So this is the way they set things up and the way they do their services or whatever you want to call them. I didn't realize that us profane were allowed in there, but to cut to the chase, the images that you typically see are black and white line drawings. I think they're called image boards or something. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but almost always you see the idea of the all-seeing eye flanked by the sun and the moon. That's going to be critical to think about, and it is, in my view currently, where I stand now today, it's encoding what I filmed. So where do you want to start here, Jason? Let's lay down the basic concepts from history that are going to be relevant to what we're going to discuss here. So let's start with the concept of the triune God or the concept of a trinity. Many cultures have had this concept as the bedrock of their respective faiths and belief systems. The most common one to most of our listeners would most likely be from the Christian concept, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. There are many other examples that can be easily found if this is something you wish to explore further. The whole point behind all this, however, is that it comes down to a concept we have discussed several times before, and that is that all, or at least nearly all, of ancient religions have been based off of the sky clock. And the general description or word you would use for this is astrotheology. So let me kind of reframe that last sentence. Um, Most of the religions that we've looked at, the old religions, are allegorizing or flat-out encoding 
things about our natural world, and a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with what we call the sky clock. Now, just to give you a definition of astrotheology, it is theology or religious doctrine that is founded on observation or knowledge of the celestial bodies. This could include such things as sun worship and moon worship, the planets, the stars, as well as the understanding of some basic astronomical principles, even if they may have been anthropomorphized to one degree or another. Okay, so Wayne, um, I think this is a good place for us to put in the Falconelli information and the other things that came from your side of the research that begin to point out what we're about to talk about. And um, we're going to have Giancarlo, you guys may remember we had Giancarlo uh, giving us first-hand accounts about his Eyes Wide Shut experience in Italy. He is going to come and better break down the Italian quote we took from Falconelli, which talks about the binary star idea, which is going to be critically important to the footage that, that will be shown here. Okay, Carl, that quote is, Our star is single, and yet it is double. Know how to distinguish its true imprint from its image, and you will observe that it shines with more intensity in the light of day than in the darkness of night. All right. As I mentioned before, that's, that comes to us in Italian, and we will have a very thorough breakdown from a speaker of Italian. But here is the other main point before I begin to describe what it is likely that I filmed. Here's the other quote that was just covered. There are then two stars, which, improbable as it may seem, are really one star. Now, people could think in their minds, this is a similar allegory to the idea of there's one God, but it's actually three gods the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to cut to the chase here, what I filmed, which is not visible to the naked eye, at least not when I filmed it, I think is the, the source of the sun we see. And I know that's a bold statement. There are then two stars, which improbable as it may seem, are really one star. Think back to when the lunar wave was early and I made the mistake of calling it a hologram. Later, I made another mistake. I call it a facade. Then after I'd corrected myself to a point to understand I didn't have the language or concepts to describe it, I began to say, it's not a rock in space and it's a light. What it likely is, described in a more straightforward manner, the moon that we see and the sun that we see are reflections, projections, or something along those lines. But again, I don't have the language. And the video that we're going to show here in a moment was filmed in hydrogen alpha with a solar telescope with what's called a double stack on front of the scope where I filmed another body that appears to be almost behind a glass or liquid shield. And it took me forever to vet it out to prove that once again, the camera pan absolutely confirms that it's a filmed event. I did this over a number of days and on the second day came at it with a full spectrum camera, taking the double stack off the hydrogen alpha scope. Um, so right here, I guess we'll, we'll insert the, uh, the video, Jason. All right. So many of the followers may remember Giancarlo who brought us his eyes wide shut account uh, from Italy. We've asked him to come on to first read the Falconelli quote uh, that is one of the critical pieces in all this. Uh, again, I would urge everyone to go read Falconelli's Mystery of the Cathedrals. Uh, good stuff there. Anyhow, uh, welcome, Giancarlo. Thank you very much for having me back on. Hey, it's it's uh, it's our honor. Can you take the Falconelli quote and first just read it to us in Italian so that folks can hear it 
in all its complexity in an old world language that still has things like gender and all the nuance? Certainly. Here goes. La nostra stella è unica, eppure è doppia. Sappiate distinguere la sua impronta reale dalla sua immagine e noterete che essa brilla con più intensità alla luce del giorno che nelle tenebre della notte. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to now read just a verbatim um, translation, but what we're going to do is we're going to have Giancarlo go in and do the translation piece by piece here. Uh, what most people who speak English don't understand is we speak a bastardized language. All gender has been stripped, all nuance, um, any politeness that is inserted into a line. We don't have any of that, and it all still remains in the Italian in which the Falconelli quote was written. So the basic, just random, you know, there are many options when you translate from one language to another. Here's the English rendering of what Giancarlo just read. Our star is unique. It is double. Know how to distinguish its real imprint from its image. And you will notice that it shines more intensely in the light of day than in the darkness of night. And there's some key pieces here. Um, Giancarlo, can you just start addressing each little part? Let's start with our star is unique from, from the rendering in Italian. Okay. First off, there's an old saying in Italian that every translator is a traitor. There's a lot of nuance and subtleties in, in translating something. It isn't just word for word. So we have to look at this and see synonyms and, and, and go at it that way. So he says, la nostra stella è unica. It means our, our star is singular or one of a kind. And then he goes on to say, eppure è doppia. And yet, and also, it is double. It can also mean twofold or two-faced. Okay? It can also mean deceitful. When someone is doppia... It's like a Gemini. They have two distinct personalities to them. Okay? Yep. All right. So moving forward, which is strange, is he is using the second person plural. He's not saying it in the impersonal, which is usually the third person that you can do in, in a, in a Latin-based language. He is referring, he's using the second person plural, like you guys in English and you all. But this, the strange thing is, not the strange thing, the nuance to this is, is that you use uh, the second person plural in Italian, when you speak to somebody of a higher social class who is more educated than you are, who is in the know, that's that's really important to understand, I think, in this quote, because he's not using the impersonal. He's using the second person plural. So I don't think he's speaking to more than one person, because usually you would use an impersonal with this. You would use the third person. Let me jump in here. So okay. I, I think what we're delineating, and this is critical because there's going to be a royal idea inserted in here, Yes, but it's exactly. almost like the surface words are for anybody, but uh, in the intention and the nuance of the language, it's being directed at adepts. Exactly. So he's saying, sapiate distinguere, which is you plural, or, or I'm, giving, I'm, I'm speaking to somebody who is in the know, who knows, who, who knows things who is higher up the, the ladder than I am. So he's saying, you know how to, to distinguish, okay? It's la sua impronte reale. So impronte is a mark, it's, it's being, but reale can mean real, okay? Actual. It can also mean royal, okay? So you have la famiglia reale, the royal family, or 
Um, you could say, la, 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 il tavolo è reale. It's a real table. So he's saying, you know, you plural, so directed to somebody of a higher intelligence and higher social class than him, you plural know how to distinguish its actual, real, or royal, royal imprint, okay, from its image. Which is okay. critically important because in the English, just to refresh everyone, know how to distinguish its real imprint from its image. Now, you and I had a conversation about this. When we look up and uh, we look at the sun that's in our sky that we can see with our eyes, uh, we're looking at the imprint, aren't we? Exactly. And then he's also, he's continuing in the second person plural, and noterete que esa brilla. So he's saying, so take note that. It shines with more intensity, okay? So, in più intensità alla luce del giorno, which means during the daylight, che nelle tenebre della notte, than it does during the darkness of night. Okay, so um, that is the whole thing. Now, again, I'm going to read in English um, the, the translation, and I, I want to ask you, Giancarlo, <laughs> how close... Does, does this translation that I have come not to, close at all? The yeah, one that you looked at me before, it, it, right. it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't It doesn't come close to expressing. If you want to maybe look at this uh, uh, cursory glance at it and, and just give a very quick meaning to it, okay, it's it's okay. It's fine. But there's so much to this by the by the, the, the persons he's speaking to, by the nuances, the synonyms for different words, that it, it, it's lost. It, it's all, lost. All, the se- all the secret sauce is removed it's, once it's it goes into English. And now, it's you know, all out. We, we've had all this conversation, um, which, you know, proves outright all the nuance that's lost when these things go into English. But let me get, let me give it another shot here and I'll try to add some of what was lost, which I know I actually can't do. Our star is unique, yet it is double. Know how to distinguish the royal imprint from its image, and you will notice that it shines more intensely in the light of day than in the darkness of night. But I've got to come back to the nuance of the Italian where you're saying that he's speaking to people that are in the know. What portion of this quote allows you to understand that this is not just directed at everyone as a surface reading? kind of like biblical scripture in a way, but for the people who understand, who are initiated, there's more here than meets the eye. Well, the reason, as I said before, and I'll try to maybe explain myself better is, okay, so he's saying ours is a sing- is, is, is singular, it's, it's one. Okay, and that's in the first person plural. We're speaking we, us. If I were to make a statement like this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the second person plural. I would use the third person singular because I'm making a statement. I'm not addressing the statement to any one particular person. I'm speaking in general. So he's not speaking in general. He goes from saying ours is a singular star in the first person plural to then doing every other conjugation in the second person plural which, as I said before, is a way not just to give respect, but my grandparents would address their parents in the second person plural to show them utmost respect. That's the critical point that I wanted you to, to add, John okay. Carlo. And also the word real or reale, reale. Um, which yes. clearly has a double meaning. Um, it has a double meaning. Something that actually is, but then there's the double meaning of royalty, uh, exactly. the idea of a higher a higher rung on the on the ladder but on anyhow, the ladder on i'll tell you ladder. what can you read 
Can you read in Italian one more time the quote for all the Latin-based speakers out there? I'll do it in English, and then we'll call it. Okay, certainly. So he says here, La nostra stella è unica, eppure è doppia. Sappiate distinguere la sua impronta reale dalla sua immagine e noterete che essa brilla con più intensità alla luce del giorno che nelle tenebre della notte. <laughs> All right, I'll wrap it up okay. with our bastardized English, our dog Latin here, and I'll read it one more time. So one, one other thing is that Latin had even further nuances because you also had a neuter noun. Okay, where in Italian, all of the Latin-based languages now, you just have masculine and feminine that remain. Whereas Latin, like German today, had a neuter noun, which was no, not neither masculine or feminine. It makes sense because an egg was an ovum and it's neuter. It's neither masculine nor feminine. These things are very important. So even Italian, which is a constructed language, but it's much better than English in the way you can address people and, and you can keep a relationship formal. Like I, I had known people for years and I had never referred to them with the two, with the you informal. You have to ask for that. And in business, what was so nice about it is you could keep it impersonal. You could keep it formal. So it's a, there's a lot of these nuances, which are, I believe, very important for communicating because it's all sound and vibration, correct? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Um, at this point, English is set to be the language of the internet and by proxy the world, and it has no nuance. People should go None look up things like Sanskrit, which is apparently one of the most complex languages that we've ever known. But here we go. I'll close out our, our little insertion into the, into the episode here with one last rendering in English, which loses quite a bit, as you all know now. Our star is unique. It is double. Know how to distinguish its real imprint from its image, and you will notice that it shines more intensely in the light of day than in the darkness of night. And Giancarlo, I want to thank you so much. We're on time limit in the first hour because we run on the radio, but we will be catching up with you here before too much time goes by. So thank you so much. Prego, you're welcome. Okay, so while going through footage for the film, Crow and I were reviewing all of his solar footage. And this footage you're seeing now is one of the things that we went through, and it was just another one of those light bulb moments, I guess you could put it. Just like with the lunar wave, the panning, the movement of the camera shows that it's not just some sort of in-camera event or something like that, even though every ding-dong in the universe will say, oh, that's just a camera glitch, because, you know, that never occurred to us. It's only visible in the H-alpha, so... Crow shot the sun that you see normally, and then he also got this other object that is at the same astronomical distance when he had repeated the process, which is very interesting. Crow, what do you want to add to that? All right. So for there's going to be people out there that may have the tools to do this. And this one thing you've got to bear in mind is as the seasons go by, the angles of the things we look at up at the sky clock change. It's just the nature of things. I filmed this in the third month and fourth month of 2016. And at that time, if I took my hydrogen alpha or full spectrum camera on the, on the solar scope, it would be three sun widths to the left of the sun and basically one sun width up 
to locate it at that time of the year back then. And that was true all the way through the third month and the fourth month in 2016 when I filmed these things. It looks like it's just so hard not having the language here, Jason. Let's let's go at it this way, maybe. If I am correct in stating that there is a hard, fast boundary, if the allegories from our religious text calling for a firmament, if those are all correct, if Werner von Braun's headstone with Psalm 191 are correct, showing the handiwork of God is the firmament, then right now where I'm at, having spent all this time to try to vet this out, is that we are looking through the barrier in a visual spectrum that your eye can't see and picking up the source for, for the sun that we do see. And all these old alchemical and natural science quotes, it says, is, you know, as crazy as it may seem, there is one star that is actually two or two stars that are actually one. And I believe that's what's been caught here. And that will also begin to shed light on the idea of liquid space, a firmament or a hard, fast barrier, and the lunar wave. I think this is all relating to the same idea. Now, to be perfectly clear, when I went out to do this, I had had my full spectrum camera at night while I was viewing the moon and I found this area of the sky that the full spectrum camera just lit up. There was like this big light reflection in the middle of nowhere and I found it on multiple nights and I was thinking that's got to be um, the light from the moon, but it was so far away. It was like a quarter of the sky away from the moon and that's what got me going on this. When I sat down that first day, um, and found this. I had my H-alpha hydrogen alpha telescope with a double stack on it, and I found this second sun, basically. And you can see the outline of it, and then it's blurry on the outside, like you're looking through something to see it. To be clear, these are in wavelengths our eyes don't see. The next day, I came back, and I did all these variations to try to prove to myself, again, forgetting that the camera pan showed me that it was a filmed event, which it is, um, I took the double stack off, I put a full spectrum camera on, I did all these things, and it was in the same spot. Of the four or five times that I filmed this, it was in a similar spot every time. Um, so where do we go from here, Jason? Well, you originally thought that it was some sort of reflection within the doubler, correct? Right. So with a hydrogen alpha telescope, there's a thing on that you put on the on the end of the telescope called a double stack, which is more lensing to just kind of use layman's terms. And what it does for you is it allows you to see all this surface detail on the sun. In other words, if I just take my hydrogen alpha scope and point it at the sun during the day, I can see the prominences or the flame looking things coming off the side of the sun, probably sunspots, but not a lot of surface detail. When I put the double stack on, I can see all this surface detail. And at the time I was completely consumed by trying to prove that there is no way in hell my equipment is doing it. And even then, having forgotten what I learned from the lunar wave with the camera pan. So one of the things that I did to prove that this is in no way a lens flare or something being created by the double stack or the, the telescope itself was I took this four-foot cardboard tube, you know, like wrapping paper comes on, and I put it over the end of the scope and nothing changed. I used my hand to block light. I took off the double stack. I did all these things. And even then, I was worried that I was missing something. 
But as fate would have it, all the research that we've done since and all this Falconelli work that we'd been doing and the quotes, um, it came to me like a flash of light. That's what I'm seeing. And so is it possible that what I filmed is actually the source for the sun that we see? I think it's quite possible. But again, you know, we don't have a magic plane we can get on to get closer or, or anything like that. Everything we figure out has to be logically reasoned out. But I'm here to tell you, for me, this is a game changer. I will never view the sun in the same way. And it took all these years for me to tie it to what the old adepts of natural science were trying to tell us. And what we could say here is that you filmed a second object that looks very similar to the sun, is not identical to the sun as you shot it, or else it would be in every detail identical if it was some sort of internal camera thing, which it is not. But it can only be seen in certain light waves. It's not visible in the normal spectrum. Well, with with a caveat, during the full solar eclipse of 2017, uh, many people who filmed who were not used to filming the sun took their cameras and it was their cameras were way overexposed. In other words, they were letting way too much light into the camera. But I saw at least two or three examples of people who had filmed the eclipse that we see overexposed, picked up a smaller, exact identical mirror to a miniature sun being eclipsed. I think under those conditions in the visual spectrum, those people also picked it up. The problem is, is when you look up with your eyes, the sun is so bright, you couldn't possibly detect it. But that camera, if it's overexposed, in other words, collecting way too much light, they picked up, again, examples of what I think I filmed here in hydrogen alpha and full spectrum. So there are examples in this world, I would estimate, other than this one. Oh, very likely. And we've seen a lot of pictures that people have taken where there are two stars in the sky. Now, whether that, right. again, is just a reflection in the clouds, a camera mishap, whatever, maybe, or maybe they did indeed film this. We don't know. The thing is, you know that it must not be some sort of glitch in any way just because of the fact that they're different. Right. I knew, well, I, I didn't know what I know now. That was a big part of the problem. But let's let's go back on other things that I've said here. You know how I'm always mentioning the chemtrailing goes across the ecliptic or the path of the sun and the moon? And for a long time, I've stated the next big discovery uh, will likely be filming the sun at sunrise and sunset. These are the times when the sun is blocked. Almost everywhere you go, chemtrailing blocks sunrise and sunset. This is what I was alluding to. I think at these times, there's a better chance to film it. And just the other day, Jason, I sent you a clip of a guy who filmed more than one sun peeking through this cloudy sky. Um, so let's, let's recap here. Anyone who has the ability to film the sun at set or rise, I think these are purposefully covered. Uh, the sun is purposefully covered at these times by chemtrailing. For whatever reason, what we're talking about here seems to be more visible. So it seems to be a secondary object, but not as big or as bright as the main star. Is that what we're kind of getting at? Well, it's like you're looking through liquid or like glass of some kind. You can see the sharp outline in the video that I just showed, and you can see like a blurry edge. Um, and I haven't gotten to the point where I'm trying to measure them in video editors or anything like that because we've been so slammed trying to get back to all these old accounts that support the ideas we're putting forward here. 
let's reference the uh, the DreamWorks little trailer that that production company does. It's the same idea. In all Buddhist literature and all Eastern literature, when they start to try to communicate why so many facets of our world are illusions, they always use this example. It's like the moon reflected on the surface of a lake. But you see, in those ideas, they're not just saying that when the moon is reflected on a lake, they're saying when you look up at the moon, it's just the same as looking at the moon reflected on a lake. And in the DreamWorks trailer for that production company, you see a moon, then this fishing bobber lands in the water and you realize, oh, that's not the moon. It's a reflection of the moon. And then it follows the fishing line up to a little kid sitting on a crescent moon who's, you know, people say he's fishing for souls or whatever it is. But even in the DreamWorks, this is the idea that's being encoded there. Um, and I don't know if we're going to go through all these accounts of the idea of twin suns and all these things, but what I'm telling you here is my view of the sun is forever changed, and it relates identically to the kind of religious allegories that have been put forward that relate directly to things like there's one God, but it's triune. It's the same idea here, almost like saying this thing that I filmed is the source for what we see here in our world. And I wish I could do a better job of describing it, but I just don't really have the language. Obviously, we have to do a lot more work to try and figure out just what's going on here. And this is work that you did in 2016. So even in the film, you made a mention that the most important new discoveries are going to be coming from studying the sun. And you actually fulfilled your own words by this whole situation. So this is where we go from here. We're going to keep plugging away at this and trying to figure out what exactly the reality of this is. This is the whole deal. I've known it all this time, but here's the problem. If I say something that turns out to be silly, I mean, I can deal with looking silly, but then things like the lunar wave start to get defamed. They say, see, this this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, so everything he's done is is not worth the time of day. But there's more to this. You know, so many people ask, why did the Great Awakening begin around the turn of the millennium? From my point of view, that's directly relatable to the sun, directly. When I first got my solar telescope all those years ago, and I put it all together, there was all this surface detail and rills and sunspots and all these prominences poking off the sun. When you look at the sun now, there's none of that going on. It's even changed color. It's not nearly as yellow. It's more white. There's very little surface detail, or at least what I've seen recently or the last times that I looked, um, there's very little surface detail. There's a change there. And in all these old writings that we're trying to reference where these adepts were trying to tell us something critically important, these important ideas encoded into all those so-called Gothic cathedrals is that they they refer to it as the intelligence of this world and things like this. And of course, it's all couched in, in code and allegory and aimed at people who have the key to understand, but we're in a different time now. And I'm here to tell you that I think I am beginning to understand. And I think what I filmed here would be the equivalent of in the Masonic kind of picture board things we reference, it would be the all-seeing eye or the source for the other things that we see or the star that's actually two stars, but it's really one star, if you can follow that line of reasoning. So would you like to get into some of the ancient accounts here? 
Yeah, I think we should. Let's let's go ahead. Many ancient cultures have myths and legends delineating the existence of multiple suns and moons. Many of these legends have common motifs, suggesting that there is a commonality supporting the idea that ancient man may have observed something tangible that we in the modern era may not be aware of. Ancient man was very much more in touch with nature than we currently are. Could it be possible that some very important aspect of nature has been hidden from the common people by the royal or elite bloodlines that control our world still to this day? If so, what is it that they are hiding from us in plain sight, and what is the significance of this? So, Wayne, you and I need to address what we've addressed a few times while not recording here. I mean, we can agree, Wayne, one thing that we can prove chemtrails do is they block a hell of a lot of sunlight, don't they? Absolutely, they do. Uh, Chemtrails are one of the big problems of our time. And apparently there's more than meets the eye with it. They're not just doing it for, you know, the purpose of supposedly trying to save humanity from runaway climate change like they claim. Apparently there's more to it than that. For some reason, they're trying to block the view of the sun to the people. And I think there's a, a more hidden agenda behind that. I agree with you, and I will preface this before I know what you're going to say next, or I suspect I know what you're going to say next about why they would do that. Um, I spent quite a bit of time sun gazing, and for anyone listening, don't just go out and stare at the sun. If you don't know what you're doing, you'll damage your eyes. But I got to the point where I could stare at the sun for a really long time, and it gives you energy. You take off your shoes, you put your feet on the ground. There are others. That, that I'm aware of that when they heard me speaking about it, went out and did it. One person told me that the cataracts in their eyes were corrected when they got up to like over 20 minutes of sun gazing, when they'd built up to that over the course of a long period of time. But you get this feeling of well-being, this kind of energizing state comes over you. But when you stare at the sun for like when you get to the point where you can do it for more than a couple minutes, it looks like it's a tunnel that you could go right into. And one time when my wife and I were sun gazing in San Diego, um, before the chemtrailing got so heavy that we couldn't do it anymore, we saw mercury transiting the face of the sun. And it looked just exactly like, almost like a portal. Um, but here's the point that I think is critical to make. During the 2017 solar eclipse, when it got as full as it would be for my area, I stared directly into the sun for well over a minute, and it was wholly a different experience. It was complete chaos. It was like strobing, and it felt like every particle of light or every wave of light was just ricocheting and chaotic and not good. But when I'd done it, before, when there was no eclipse and the sun is low on the horizon, it's the exact opposite. But Wayne, why would you estimate that all the sunlight is being blocked? Well, when you think about it logically, what is the source of all life on Earth? What What is the source energy for that? It's the sun, the sun right? No, no I mean, doubt. even your mainstream scientists will, will concur to that. Uh, without the sun, there's no life. And I think that's that's the whole key behind this is... Whatever this is that is providing the energy source for the sun or whatever the hidden sun is behind the sun that we view in the sky, this is the source of life. And uh, this is what's providing all the energy and, and frequency to this planet to function as it is. If you want to call it a planet or a plane or whatever it is that we're living on, it could certainly be either of those things. 
but whatever you call it, this is the energy source. This is the, the fuel for all life that is on this earth. So uh, when you look at it from that perspective, if they're blocking out these frequencies uh, from the sky, from view, they're blocking this light out, it kind of leads to a, a, a culture of, of death per se. Uh, it's, it's blocking the, the natural source out of the view of the people. And uh, I could see from the research I've done, their intention is to replace everything natural with a totally unnatural artificial system. So this could be construed as uh, just a bigger step in that direction. They're blocking out the source of all nature, and uh, they intend to replace it with something else totally unnatural. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And there's one more side note I would make. In the research that I did years ago, I came across old text stating that the word helios, which basically represents the sun, is the root for the idea of all healing or health. Uh, people can follow that down. And unfortunately, online now, it's getting so difficult to find information that matters. But where do you want to go here, Jason? I think it's time to start breaking down some of these cultures that have had the similar mythical motifs regarding multiple suns. So the first one would be the Australian Aboriginals, the legend of the twin suns. Wayne, you want to break that down for us? Okay, basically the important aspects of this whole legend are uh, there were multiple suns visible in the sky at the same time. Most of the mythology that goes along with these legends of the multiple suns in the Aboriginal cultures they ascribe as there being a parent son and a child son or children's sons, depending on how many sons the individual culture uh, had witnessed in the sky. Uh, the appearance of these multiple suns in the sky in these legends causes extreme heat, drought, and fires. And two important takeaways from these mythologies of multiple Aboriginal tribes that you could look at is, first, it's noted that these myths describe multiple suns being present in the sky at dawn that do not all rise together for fear the combined heat would burn the earth. Second, these themes relate that the two suns travel along different pathways at different times of the year. So basically they're equating this that uh, there's more than one sun in the sky that they see, but they don't usually appear at the same time. But these legends say that at certain times they've appeared together in the sky. It's just so incredible that all this came together in the way it did, and that it was actually Jason and I prepping up to do research where the Falconelli quote gave me the aha moment, and by chance we had just gone over the footage, and there it was, and we were going to put it in the film. But at this point, I would say with what I currently understand and all the research I've done, I accept that our son is a binary. I've seen so much footage that suggested this, but I did this firsthand. And I did it over a number of days, but here's the rub, and here's where not having the language to describe it comes in. It's really one. There's one source, and I think the thing that I filmed is the source, or maybe it would be equivalent to saying the all-seeing eye and all that artwork we talked about, but there's all that. Next, we have the Chinese myth of Hao Yi. Okay, in the myth of Hao Yi, it states in the myth that there, at one time there were 10 suns in the sky at once. And that these suns all originate from the world tree. Once again, there's this common motif where there's extreme heat causing drought and fires and nothing can grow. Further along in the, the legend or the myth here, how Yi 
shoots down nine of the ten suns with arrows. Each of the nine suns explodes into flames and gold or black feathers. And this will be important later on. We'll see because there's some symbolism there going on. And a three-legged raven falls to the ground for each of the nine. And we'll we'll look at that too later because that's that's symbolic there as well. So that's you could see where some of these cross over from the Aboriginal myths, and there's there's many more of these. There's several uh, Mesoamerican cultures and Native American myths that that kind of show a lot of these same motifs as well. Once again, you have instances where in their legends, multiple suns cause heat or drought. Multiple suns originate from what they call the world tree, and a hero in the legend shoots down the extra suns from the sky. The suns explode into flames and black feathers. And then there's a reference to ravens, and there's also a reference made in the Mesoamerican cultures to the black sun. Which, so this which, causes some other interesting crossovers, too. So where are you at? With, I mean, we've, everyone's going to start thinking of that song, that song, you know, the black hole sun or the idea of the black hole sun. With the black feathers on these extinguished suns um, and these other ideas, what do you think? Is, is this about eclipsed sun or is it about something else? It could be about either. It could be. Uh, it could relate to eclipses, but uh, basically, if you look at the the feather motif, the feathers actually are indicative of the black sun. They're they're symbolic of the black sun. The black sun. That's a concept that we hear tied to the elite a lot. That they're cults of the black sun. That also can tie into Saturn, of course, as well. But where are you coming from as far as what the black sun represents, Wayne? Well, from what I've studied and what I've seen. Reference to the black sun, it could be better construed as an invisible sun, the sun that you don't see in the sky. And right. uh, this could be considered a source. And much like uh, we had talked about in uh, a previous episode about Negrito and where the term alchemy comes from, the, 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 word, the root word alchem, which means the black. And this is the source. This relates to the unconscious and is the source for all things. Once again, the black sun relates to this source. This could be considered the alchem principle, per se. I kind of am with what you said right at the beginning there, where maybe the idea of the black sun, which is in so many cultures, is the sun you don't see. Um, It's hidden quite often in the old uh, natural science and alchemical writings. The things that are black uh, are not visible or not easy to observe. But um, go ahead. What Should we list out some of the cultures that do the whole sun, black sun mythology? Other cultures that have very similar myths and legends with these motifs and uh, which relate uh, some of this stuff to there being a, a, a second sun or a black sun, per se. There's Taiwanese cultures with legends about this stuff. Japanese, the Eskimos, Inuits, the Norse, the Greeks, and there's many other lesser known tribes and groups. Yeah, so it's pretty widespread. And you had made mention that in some of the alchemical artwork, um, the green lion was often associated with the black sun. Is that correct? Yes, that's what I've seen. Do you have any insight on that, or is it still the mystery that needs to be unraveled? I think that's still a mystery that needs to be unraveled. I'm not quite sure why they chose the green lion, per se, as as the symbol for the black sun. I think we know someone who could answer that question. I'll bet you Phoenix Aurelius could, but let's go ahead and keep moving on. But maybe we should take a moment, Jason, to talk about the idea of the black sun in alchemy. 
And I'd also be curious how this ties in with the Masonic symbolism, if Wayne has anything to contribute to that part of the conversation, because obviously they have sun and moon and all sorts of sky clock symbolism throughout their, well, whatever you want to call them, mythologies. (laughs) Just before we move forward, to get back a minute, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the green lion symbolism from alchemical artwork shows the green lion eating the sun. Yes. Yeah, just to get it out there on the record. Actually, uh, Crow, I think I may have had a little bit of an epiphany as to what the green lion represents now that I'm thinking about it again. The green lion could possibly represent the royal bloodlines of uh, the ancient hermetic orders. The, the green representing Hermes, or the hermetic tradition, and the lion representing royalty. So this could be an illusion that the royal bloodlines are the ones that have grasped control of the black sun. You know, that's an interesting idea, and I will follow up with Phoenix Aurelius to get a definition of the symbology. I know the lion almost always stands for the sun. Leo would be the sky clock month that is the sun, and it's often gold. Almost always gold is going to mean the sun, but clearly they've taken that motif and they've turned the lion green and they have the the lion eating not just any old sun, the sun that we see to be clear about it. Right. The English royalty, they always use the lion for themselves as well, right? It's all over the British stuff. Right. It also goes back into the Lion of Judah idea. We've shown on endless episodes that the lion is always standing for the sun. Um, The idea at that one time, that particular month that is Leo was where the summer solstice supposedly was at that time. Now the summer solstice is in cancer, supposedly. Um, I have problems with a lot of that, but anyhow. And what about the Roman Catholic Church? Don't they also use a lion? I believe they do. I think you're right about that, Jason. Well, there's also the idea that the lion is, you know, the king of beasts, um, that whole thing. You know, like the Disney Lion King makes much of that. So, Wayne, why don't you go ahead and start giving us your take on the Black Sun symbology? In alchemic and hermetic traditions, suns are employed to symbolize a variety of concepts. Much like the sun in astrology, suns can correspond to gold, citronitis, generative masculine principles, imagery of the king or Apollo, the fiery spirit or sulfur, the divine spark in man, nobility or incorruptibility. Recurring images of specific solar motifs can be found in the form of a dark or black sun or a green lion devouring a sun. Sol Niger, black sun, can refer to the first stage of the alchemical magnum opus, the negrito blackening. In a text described to Marsilio Ficino, three suns are described, black, white, and red, corresponding to the three most used alchemical color stages. The black sun is used to illuminate the dissolution of the body, a blackening of matter, or putrefaction in splendor solace. Okay, so what's interesting about that last paragraph, um, it's almost like it gets you wondering, um, is our existence in this world like the Negrito process? Would that be the alchemical process that corresponds? It almost sounds like that's what's being pointed to. But again, these things are so hard to know for certain. This concept, again, is reflected in alchemy with the three parts. So we keep seeing this triune concept over and over again. Everything, all religions, all alchemy, all natural science, it's always the triune idea. From the alchemical standpoint, uh, it's all philosophical. And for my money, all the more valuable because it is philosophical. And everything that exists in this illusory world of ours can be said to be made up of sulfur, spirit, and body. 
um, which we've covered so many times here, but we've got just a little more time before we got to bring the first hour to a close. And there's so much that we're going to bring up about this in the second hour, Jason. Do we have time to just quickly address the two sons idea in the hermetic tradition? There's a persistent belief in alchemaic and hermetic tradition in the existence of two suns, a hidden one of pure philosophical gold consisting of the essential fire conjoined with ether and the apparent one of profane material gold. The dark consuming fire of the material sun leads it to be called the dark or black sun. According to the book of the Holy Trinity, after Adam's fall tainted by original sin, man is made from the black sun's fire. That's a hell of a statement, because if you were begin to logically work out what was likely filmed uh, that fateful day back in 2016 for the first time, would be the source of what's being referenced here as the black sun. In other words, the sun we see being the black sun. Right. So there's a lot more that we're going to go into in hour two. The symbology is all over the place. And you really do got to wonder just how much the old mystery schools knew about the actual existence of what it is that Crow seems to have filmed. You know, forever and a day on this channel, we've been saying that we don't accept what the space agencies have been up to. There is a whole movement around the world questioning what is this place? That this world, what is it? What does it look like? What shape is it? And this is all for a reason. For my money, that started around the millennium change. It directly has to do with the sun and all the chemtrailing covering up sunlight is playing some role, probably nefarious in all of this. But an hour or two, we're going to be able to speak a little more freely because we will be away from the censorship that is social media in this world for those places that do not want new discoveries to come to light. I view this as a new discovery, although a few years late, it's well vetted now, and I will stand behind the things that have been said here. Unfortunately, we don't have all the understanding. We don't have all the language we need to address this, but we do have those adepts who left us ideas written down that were trying to tell us critically important things. We have the current religious systems, which all encode aspects of the sky clock, which we've shown repeatedly. Anyhow, Jason, anything you want to add before I wrap up our one of 150? I would like to see everyone going over and checking out the SGT report just to see the direction that this awakening process seems to be going now. I'm really impressed that a mainstream or nearly mainstream political channel is really starting to get it. And the very wide audience he has are getting hit with concepts that they probably never considered before. So I'd like to return the support that he has shown us and try and get some of our folks to go check him out. Critically important. I can't imagine a couple years ago have talked to an audience like that and gotten the positive reaction that we got here. So many open minds, so many questioning minds wanting to know more than they currently do, wanting to be more awake in this world. But anyhow, that does bring hour one of episode 150 to a close. The full show and hour two will be posted on crow777radio.com, where free speech rules. We can do or say whatever we want, although it's a little ridiculous that we're censored here. We never harm anyone, and I value all life in this world and would never do a thing to harm any living thing. So the idea that we need to be censored here is simply about ideas. The ideas that are expressed in this episode, 150 to me, have changed everything in the same way the lunar wave did, but they relate. They're hand in glove. 
There's no separating the one from the other. And there it is, man. We hope to see you all over at Crow 777 Radio for hour two. And I wish you all the best. Cheers.